0: following
1: audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through mission, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account.
0: Friends, we're studying from the book of Hebrews. It's a fantastic book, um, but it does feel sometimes as if some of the nuances lost on us because it's uh, it's sophisticated, and um, it calls us to look hard at the Old Testament to fully understand what he's referencing in the New Testament. And so I just want to make it clear that some of what we're going to do as we talk about this complex passage is we're going to look about why in the world is he talking about Joshua? Why in the world is he talking about David? Why in the world is he talking about the Sabbath? Because you'll remember that while he's doing this, he's talking to a group of people that are being persecuted. They're a group of people who feel like they're about to give up. And so... There's all of a sudden this passage about the Sabbath in the middle of that And it's kind of said in scary terms And so I just want to acknowledge to you that it's a complex passage But we can walk through it together and figure out what we need to from it um, But I just want to want you to know that at the backdrop um, When you're reading a New Testament passage You want to make sure you fully understand what the Old Testament is pointing to in the New Testament If I were going to take a survey this morning and we were to throw the results up on the board and I were to ask the question, what is the feeling that most of you are feeling right now? What is the feeling that most of you are feeling right now? I'm going to throw it up there that 95% of you would have said tired. 95%. I'm going to say that. It's a guess, but that you're tired tired because of work, you're tired because of uh, relationships, you're tired because of battling with sin, you're tired because it's kind of hard to live in this world where the devil wants to mess you up, your flesh is giving in all the time, the world is calling for you to fail, that you're just ultimately Now imagine the people of God who are receiving this letter. They're exhausted. They maybe thought, I'm going to follow Jesus and then it's going to take away all my problems. He's the king of everything, so after I follow him, everything will get easier. Maybe you're here today because some Christian has at some point told you that when you start to follow Jesus, good news, friends, it all smooths out. Well, beat that person up the next time you see them because they were lying to you. These people need to know that while they're tired, while they're hurting, there is rest to come. And friends, you need to know it too. There's rest to come. So let's pray and ask God to bless our study of His Word this morning. Pray with me. Father, we do confess to You that we are tired. Tired of trying to be enough for others Tired of trying to be enough for you Are tired of disappointment Tired of disease Tired of Saying that we won't give in to sin And then giving in to sin anyway Moments later We as your people are tired Would you lift up our chins And fill us with hope But somehow don't quite understand it, there's rest coming. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Happy Groundhog Day. If you didn't know, this cold morning is Groundhog's Day, and I know some of you celebrate privately, um, but today we're going to celebrate together. Um, If you even have heard of the word Groundhog's Day, you would have ...known about the movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog Day. It's a really awesome movie from a while back. And he is this reporter... ...and he's supposed to go to Punxsutawney and see if Phil... ...the other Phil, Punxsutawney Phil... ...sees his shadow and whether or not there'll be more winter... ...or whether or not spring is about to break upon the city. And he does this as a reporter. He goes and something happens while he's there... And no matter what he does, he wakes up and the next morning it's Groundhog's Day again. At first he wants to have fun with it and eat whatever he wants and do whatever he wants and enjoy himself. And then the next day he wakes up again and it's Groundhog's Day again and again and again. He starts to feel the monotony of the same days over and over again. And at one point Bill Murray says this. He's on camera, by the way. You want a prediction about the weather? You're asking the wrong Phil. I'm going to give you a prediction about this winter. It's going to be cold. It's going to be dark. And it's going to last you the rest of your lives. And then he drops the mic and walks off the report. The reason that I bring up that somber idea to you is if you're like me, sometimes Christianity can feel like that. Just one more day, just like it was yesterday. It's going to be dark. It's going to be hard. And it's just going to go on like this forever. And so the writer to the letter of Hebrews. Speaks into that. And says you're wrong. There is rest coming. So I want to talk about this rest. First of all we're called to enter this rest. I want to give you the context for it. And then I want to talk through What kind of rest is it? Is it a rest for now or a rest for later? And then I want to talk you through why you should enter that rest. Why you should enter that rest. So first of all, let's talk through entering the rest because we're tired. The context of this passage in Hebrews 4, it's sort of startling because he moves fast. He's just come through 3, which we're going to return to next week. But... He's moving fast, and so we don't quite know what he's doing, except he gives us clues by giving us quotes from the Old Testament. And essentially, what these quotes come from is there's a story way back in Deuteronomy. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, I'm going to give you a quick catching up synopsis. So essentially, God's people were in slavery in Egypt for 430 years, and they're crying out for God to move, and they're crying out for him to rescue, and God... Hears his people's problems and stoops down and says, Uh-uh, I am not going to let them hurt anymore. And so he destroys the greatest power in the history of the time at that time. He just beats back Pharaoh to the fact Pharaoh finally says, Get out of here, take your people and go. So he rescues them from this mighty power. And then you may know from the Bible that they come across the sea and they have to be concerned because Pharaoh's changed his mind and he's chasing them and yet they're at the sea. And they all want to panic. And yet God opens up the sea. God leads them by fiery pillar during the day or but during the night in a cloud that covers over them protecting them from the hot sun during the day and he leads them through the river on dry land and then he crashes the river down on them. on the Egyptians. And so he's rescued them, he's led them, he's provided for them. And then he's going to take them to a mountain. He's going to introduce himself to them, since they don't know who he is. And then he's going to lead them to a promised land, to something flowing with milk and honey, something better than they ever imagined. So that's the context. I want you to understand that. Well, what happened was, is that the people experienced all of that rescue, all of that provision, all of that leading, all of that guiding, All of that, God's sticking up for them. And then as they're entering the promised land, they send some spies into the promised land, okay? So they're going to figure out what's going on in there and can we take it? And ten of the people, of the spies, come back and say, there's no way we can take it. It's a glorious land, but we can't handle it. The people are too tall. And two of the spies come back and go, it's a glorious land and we're going to take them. Let's go today. Let's go. And I'll remind you, God has beat back the greatest army in the world. He has literally split a river in half so that they could cross it on dry land. He's made for them food out of nothing that falls from the skies. He's given them water. He's beat back all their enemies. And they show up to a town where there's some big dudes in it. And ten of them go, there's no way God hates us. They actually say God hates us. Now do you pick up on the context a little bit? Of a God who provides and rescues and loves. And then all of a sudden, as if his people have zero memory at all, they say, God hates us. This is some of the verses that we're talking about. But you were unwilling to go. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and you said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear, they say. The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, this is Moses, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. As he did you. Before your very eyes and in the wilderness, then you saw how the Lord God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you went and reached this place. In spite of all this, you did not trust the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this generation will see the good land I swore to give to your ancestors. Except Caleb, he will see it and I will give him descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. I know it seems severe, but I want you to think about that. Rescued from 430 years of slavery. By God pouring out ten plagues of wrath against people who were laughing in God's face. Then leading you in a cloud and a pillar of fire, protecting you from soldiers, opening up a sea so that you can walk through on dry land and then using that sea to crush the Egyptians so that you will never see them again. Feeding you with manna, leading you where you should go, and then walking you right up to heaven on earth and saying, go in there and get them. And then go in. you see what it is? It's having a tiny memory about God's provision. It's having a tiny faith that God will be true to His Word. And we can look back at this group of people and go, this is absurd. He's done all of this, like action movie stuff, right up until He's about to give you the land and you just got to go beat some tall guys. And you're afraid? What it's saying is, is, I don't know if I can count on God for the future. That's where it gets convicting for you and for me. Is that you have been rescued. You've been called to Christ. You've experienced His love and His kindness. He's put His record on you and He's taken your record on Himself and paid for it on the cross. He's been resurrected, meaning He's conquered death. Meaning death for you, Death for you is nothing but the handshake into the greatest time in your existence. A welcome handshake. He's defeat your enemies, your sin, the devil, death. He's defeated mine. And yet then we lose a job. Or we have fights in our marriage. Or our teenage kids are acting up. Or things are tight for us financially where sin gets hard and suffering becomes real and we think God must hate us. God has fallen asleep. I don't know if I can still trust God for the future. You see, that's what he's convicting us of is that it's easy to look back and see all of the wonderful things that God has done in real time and yet not use any of that to fuel faith that says He's going to show up again. And that's what I want you to experience. He's telling this church who's suffering and hurting and wounded, and he's telling them, guys, you remember all the stuff God's done? Trust him. He will see you through. It's about to get really, really good. And instead they're saying, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to faith before Christ. Let's go back to counting on ourselves. What are the things in your life has sent you running back to saying, I can only count on me, I cannot trust God for the future. I can only count on me, I cannot trust God for the future. What are those things in your life? We who are trusting in Christ are going to fall into that. It's not you're going to have your salvation taken from you just because you fall into that. But really, more so, I just want you to be able to see this this sense of the absurdity of our sin. God has laid out everything for our salvation. He's allowed His own Son, Jesus, to be put to death. That sacred Son of His. And yet, we doubt Him for the smaller things. He's saying... So that's the context, is that he's dealing with a group of people who think you can count on God for the past, but that that should have nothing to say about you for the future. And so what kind of rest is he offering? A friend of mine who I played soccer with for six years in St. Louis, while we were maybe 11th graders, uh, his mom tragically died. And all of us were blown away and surprised and shocked sweet, young woman who took good care of him, who always made a home welcome for those other soccer guys to come around, and we just couldn't make sense of it. In her will, she asked that while she is buried for this, while she's displayed for this open casket, that they would put a spoon in her hand. And so all the soccer guys are coming through and we're making, saying our our condolences and we're being present and we're walking through this line and as we walk past his mom, this beautiful woman laying there lifeless, she has a spoon in her hand, and we're all like, Whoops. Is that supposed to be there? And then during the service they made reference to it. They said that she was once at a women's luncheon, a convention. Was having fun and laughing, and they were getting ready for the speaker. But before the speaker, they were going to clear the plates. And the speaker said, "Make sure you hold on to your spoons." In reference to dessert, the best is yet to come. This woman had that had meant so much to her. She wanted to be. Buried, laid before people with a spoon so that while they saw her, though they could grieve, that they would realize that she knew the best is yet to come. In the midst of the death, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the uncertainty, there's still rest coming. The best is yet to come. And ultimately, that's what he's calling us to believe. No matter what you're facing, the best is yet to come. Can you imagine how much that would change things for you? If you thought... All of your good days couldn't possibly add up to the best that is still yet coming. He's offering them rest for the future. He's saying, when you're struggling, think about heaven. Think about heaven. And I know that seems a little arbitrary and difficult for us, but I just want to take you through quickly some of the passages that can help us. Think about heaven. This is from 1 Corinthians 2. However, it is written, no eye has seen nor ear has heard what no mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That means you can't even fantasize outlandishly enough to figure out just how good it's going to be. Why would that matter to a suffering group of people who are on the run is to know that whatever happens to us, we won't be forgotten. We won't be abandoned. In fact, the story is about to get really, really good. Ben and I use this passage often. It's another passage from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So this is heaven. He's letting us get a glimpse of it, a picture. And he said, It's prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, listen to this. The whole Bible is about God and His proximity to His people. And it says this, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. Hear this, because I know some of you have He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This sense that in this new kingdom it's going to be all good and never bad. All good and never bad. And in John it says this, don't let your heart believe in God believe also in me Jesus says for my father's house has many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you I will come back and take you with me to that place where I am what he's saying is, is that he is going to go and prepare a place for us that is beyond our wildest conception there's no crying and there's no mourning and there's no death Why would you need to hear that? In the midst of this world which is broken and often attacking you, where there's not enough money and sometimes feels like there's not enough love, there's not enough provision, there's not enough peace, there's not enough rest. And what he's saying is, hang on friends, the best is yet to come. We all want it so desperately, but isn't it true when you get home from a vacation, isn't it true you are exhausted and you start to feel a little bit better when you start answering emails to get yourself ready to go back to work? We don't know how to rest. And he's saying, that's okay, you'll find rest. Just kind of empty and gnawing Remember the best is yet to come it's One of the secrets in this text It's hard to explain We don't read Hebrew or Greek Which I barely do at this point but The commentators show It says in verse 8 For if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken of another day later on So then there remains a Sabbath whole thing's been about Moses and about Caleb. And he brings up Joshua. The writer is saying, Joshua brought them to this first rest and the next Joshua, Jesus. Same word in Hebrew and Greek. He will bring you to a deeper rest. I met with one of our new members this week and he shared his story of faith with me and he was sharing about how faith had recently become more difficult. He and some of his friends were going through some really painful things. And he said, I feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm growing because of the confusion and difficulty and anger of trusting why God has let this happen. I feel like I am Beautiful testimony. That's ultimately what you're supposed to experience: is that you feel that you're growing because you have to trust in a God in a world like this, and trusting in Him will cause you to grow, even if it's slowly. He does offer rest in heaven, which is coming, whether you believe that or not. There's also rest here now, meaning there are moments of of respite. There are moments of safety. It's not all just, let's hang out and hold on, wait out the storm, and someday heaven will be here. David writes at one point, I know you keep your tears in a bottle. You keep my tears in a bottle. They're in your the sense that David is so loved and protected by God, that God scoops up his tears and puts them in a bottle because David being sad means something to God. All this I have spoken while still with you. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will, the Father will send. He will teach you all things and remind you of what I've said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Don't let your hearts be troubled and afraid. So yes, there is this beautiful, far-off peace that's coming and it's supposed to shape our present realities, but then there's also this daily peace. This sense of God cares about your tears. This sense that God gave us the Spirit to sustain us. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That yes, there is peace someday, but there's also some peace for now. So, why should we look for this peace? Why should we want to enter the rest? Because he's saying you can't avoid the question, you can't hide. He's saying you can't know what you've been told. Or even ignore what you've been told and somehow hide from the reality that you've heard it. Here's what I mean. It turns and it says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no may, no may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know what that disobedience was? Not believing. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the soul of of the spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. All are naked. What He's saying is is that you are offered rest, to step into this rest ultimately someday, and even in the now, in moments of where God will provide for you by His Spirit, by peace that He offers you in the midst of turmoil. Those are offered rest, but if you don't believe it, there's no hiding. The Word of God, which we also often think of here when it's talking about the Bible exposes, they wouldn't have had a Bible yet. The Word would have been referencing the Old Testament, and the Old Testament's main point is to point you to Jesus. What he's ultimately saying is the Old Testament and Jesus will find you out. Jesus says this in John five thirty nine, and the Father has sent me cons- himself concerning ye- me. Sorry, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life are the very scriptures that testify about me. What he's saying is don't read the Bible or live a religious life or live a moral life and then miss the point that the whole point of the Bible is to point you to Jesus. To the one who died on your behalf. For the one who obeyed on your behalf. Saying you will be found out. The word of God, this Jesus, is living and active and he will He will decide who believes in Him and who doesn't believe in Him, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So Jesus, the Word, discerns our thoughts and intentions. And then it says, no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him. I'm embarrassed to report to you that I've run out of gas more than five times in my life. How many of you run out of gas one time? It's just something that goes on in my head as if I can go, I'm not ready to stop for gas yet. No, I still have a little more time. And even though the alert is like, hey, moron, stop and get gas, I'm like, I'll be with you in just a moment. And I ignore it. And I ignore it. I ignore it enough that a grown man has run out of gas five times, and I have to make that call to Aaron. There's no hiding. Uh, Hey, you know how cars need gas? Um, I pretended for a while that it didn't. And I was found out. It doesn't matter if I don't like the alert. It doesn't matter if I don't believe the alert. The reality is still coming. And there are some of you who think, and I want you to hear me, I have compassion for this, who think, I don't, Like this narrative. I want a different narrative. I don't like this alert that someone is telling me what to believe and what not to believe. And what the Bible's saying here carefully is it doesn't matter if you don't like it. It doesn't matter if you're not startled by the alert. Reality is coming, and the Lord can see. It doesn't matter what you think about the historical certainty of the Bible. It doesn't matter what you think about the unlikely miracles of the Bible. It doesn't matter that you may not like the exclusivity of God saying Jesus is the only matter. The alert will go off until the reality comes. Even though the second Matrix movie was not as good and the third was even worse. The second movie, there's a scene where calling for all the ships to come home so that they can protect Zion. Morpheus disobeys. He asks someone to stay in his place so they can they can listen to the Oracle. And he's getting in trouble from his commander once he gets back. And he's saying, what I need is for people to listen to me, to obey my soldiers to listen to me in a time of war. And he says, Schult, and then Morpheus says back to him, it doesn't matter There is only one thing that can save Zion. Neo. And the commander angrily says, Morpheus, not everyone believes what you believe. Morpheus says back, My beliefs do not require them to. Meaning just because you don't believe something, just because you don't like something, doesn't make it less true. Don't let the idea that you can walk away from the church your hands over your ears, distract yourself, change the fact that an alert has come back and that reality is coming. Just because we avoid the doctor not to hear the bad news doesn't change the diagnosis. The bad news is not less bad just if you refuse to hear it. the hard news. The encouragement is for those who come and get the diagnosis, for those who listen to the alert that goes off on the dashboard, for those who hear that God sees, God says, I see that you have a problem and if you want it, I'll give you the solution. So just as you're willing to admit the problem, you're also being provided the solution, which is Jesus Christ's record on your behalf. is for those that stay in the fight and keep believing that there's a long-term rest which will blow our minds. And there is short-term rest which is why we gather together that the best is yet to come. You can believe that or not believe it. But it doesn't change the fact that the reality in the room, Lord, who might feel hurt or wounded by these words, I pray that you'll offer them comfort. Just as you've exposed the diagnosis, I pray, God, now by your spirit that you would provide the solution in Christ. For those of us who needed to be reminded of this, that rest is coming despite our difficulties, I pray that you'll give them deep encouragement and a reminder that the best is yet to come. Nourish us